Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 26th of February. Today's podcast is a little different from usual in that I've used parts of the service that was led by our church worship group two weeks ago. The theme was based around some of the commandments of Jesus which suggested that, for example, committing murder or adultery 
was a fairly low bar for human behaviour, and that the thoughts and words that might lead up to the catastrophic actions ruled out in the Old Testament commandments were equally bad. The worship group interpreted this passage as suggesting that the actions outlined by Jesus were corrosive to living in community. And so community is very much the theme of this service. It includes three people speaking about their own experience of community in different settings, as well as reflections, prayers and music. The worship group isn't a set group of people, but rather the name we've given to a loose number of people who plan services every so often. It will not be the same people each time, and if you're interested in taking part, you'll be very welcome, so please let me know. Some notices. This Sunday's on-site service will be an all-age messy church and will also include a service of infant dedication and thanksgiving. Our Lent group started on Tuesday with two sessions at 2.30 and 7.30, both in the Cross Street Centre, when we watched the first episode of the web television series The Chosen. It's an imaginative retelling of the story of Jesus. It's very easy to pick up the story, so please come along to either the afternoon or evening sessions, even if you miss the first one. There is a free church service at the Lady Chapel in the Cathedral on Wednesday at 11 o'clock when I will be the preacher. Our monthly church prayer meeting takes place on Saturday the 4th of March at 9am in the Cross Street Centre. And then finally, there will be a baptismal class starting soon. If anyone is interested in talking about believers' baptism, then please do speak to me. My strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love gift of and righteousness Scorned by the ones He came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was laid Pure in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay. 
Light of the world by darkness lay Then bursting forth in glorious day Up from the grave he rose Christ in me, from life's first cry, cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, no power of hell, no scheme of man, can never block me from his hand, till he returns, or calls me had two house mothers, both single ladies, who were kind and loving, but not the same as having your own mother. Being one of 15 in a house was not always easy and required a strict routine. We had to do jobs in the house such as making beds, drying up and sweeping the floor in the dining room after meals. This training and discipline came in useful when I had my own family of four children to look after. However, it was a happy place and we were all well cared for, provided with good food and dressed well. In fact, these aspects were almost certainly better than if we were at home. In some ways, I suppose it was like being at boarding school, which is where my parents told some people we were. I fondly remember Sunday afternoon walks in groups and trips to the sea at West Bay, followed with ice cream on the green. Strawberry picking at a farm was another highlight in the year, followed by a strawberry tea. Taking part in plays relating to Bible stories held at Westminster Central Hall is another special memory. In the early years, we didn't go home for all the holidays, but were looked after by a family in Margate. Later, when my dad used to visit monthly on a Sunday, we would go to visit an aunt and uncle in Margate for Sunday lunch. We went to the local schools, but never integrated with the local children, always being known as the Spurgeon's kids. We went to the local Baptist church, but sat as a group not mixing with other children. I am very grateful for the Christian love shown to me in those 10 years at Birchington. Going home at 12 was quite difficult, meaning a big change for us teenagers as well as my parents. I went to a much bigger school of a thousand girls in London and struggled to start with. One thing that Spurgeon's taught me was to be resilient and this stood me in good stead. 
Being in care is clearly not as good as the ideal childhood spent in a loving family, but life at Spurgeon's was certainly the next best thing. In 2007, I was able to obtain my records, which gave a good insight into the circumstances my parents faced and more about my time in the homes, seen from a different perspective. I never really felt bitter towards my parents for having to send me away from home. Unfortunately, my father never allowed any discussion of the subject. In the last 10 years of her life, following the death of my father, I built up a good, close relationship with my mother, who was genuinely sorry for the way her life worked out. I still feel part of the Spurgeons community and go to the occasional reunions which they organise. There was a good one last year held in Birchington. I remain very grateful for all that Spurgeons did for me and I feel I am one of the lucky ones who has enjoyed a good life. Let us build a house where love can dwell and all can safely live. A place where saints and children tell how hearts learn to forgive. Built of hopes and dreams and visions, rock of faith and vault of grace. Here the love of Christ shall end divisions. All are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome in this place.
guest and the stranger bears the image of God's face. Let us bring an end to fear and experience of a Christian community is very different from Denise's. Many years ago, probably more years than I'd care to remember, I accepted the offer of a teaching post in a Christian international school in Jerusalem, Israel. There were 250 children in this school. They were all day students ranging from 5 to 16 year olds. They were from all over the world some from local families. Most of the families were working with the United Nations, diplomatic services, church organizations, journalists, all wanting a British education for their children. The teachers in that school were from a variety of countries and faiths, as well as a handful of local Israelis who preferred working in a private school rather than an Israeli one. The school was being run under the auspices of, it was then known as CMJ, Church's Ministry Among the Jews. So the head teacher and the core members of staff were Christians. It's a bit like a boarding school for teachers, but not for the children. Some of the staff were really felt that they were called to evangelize in that part of the world, but some, like me, just wanted to follow where they felt God was leading them. Those of us employed by CMJ, and that was about 12 at that time in all, some were married, most of us were single, lived on the school site, which used to be a hospital, so the classrooms were in the wards, uh, and those of us teachers had various, um, let's say, outbuildings for our accommodation. We had our, so they were bed sits, and we shared our bathroom facilities, uh, such as they were. We were expected to attend daily prayer meetings every morning at 7 o'clock before starting the school day at 7.45. We were also expected to join the local Anglican church on Sundays 
and we were expected to be part of events organised by CMJ within the country. <clears throat> Some of the difficulties of living in that Christian community then was everybody knew everybody else's business. You didn't have an egg for breakfast without everybody knowing you had an egg. But there were other things that were really quite difficult too. There was definitely a hierarchy within the community. You're a missionary, I'm just a teacher. There was real pressure to be super spiritual, to use pious phrases as came out in that reading. There were different interpretations of the meaning of living in community between us. There was a lot of introspection. But on the positive side, working and living alongside those you would never choose to be with 24-7 rubbed off a lot of our sharp edges. We went through difficult times, such as the Yom Kippur War, and that bound us together. We learned so much about the country that we were in and all that we as Christians owe to our Jewish roots. We met people from all over the world. Over the years that I was there, I gradually became more confident to be the person that God has made me, not the person I thought others expected me to be. We learned to have mutual respect for each other's gifts and talents. I stayed for five years and I count it as a real privilege to have had those experiences, both good and bad. And I suppose the best positive is that I met my then future husband while we were working in Israel.
Like the previous two community stories, I'm also going to take you back in time, this time to around 50 years ago. I was young, without a care in the world and in Africa working for the Zambia Flying Doctor Service. I was assistant to the construction manager and had just completed training uh, with a UK civil engineering company. Now, the ZFDS, that's the Zambia Flying Doctor Service, the construction department was a small team and most of our work involved constructing and maintaining the remote rural airstrips and clinics which the service ran. I would often travel out to one of the 13 clinics and organise small construction projects like installing water pumps, constructing patient accommodation blocks and staff houses or upgrading existing buildings. The work ethic was very different to what I had learnt during my training in the UK. One particular aspect was the approach many Zambian folk had towards family and community. A typical day's building work at a rural bush clinic would be an early start, around 7am, soon after sunrise, and then the local workers would start to arrive they would come from surrounding villages and would assemble together and start chatting to one another. There would be greetings amongst everyone. There were handshakes. I remember the handshakes, they were like this. You, you shook hands like that. Um, and then questions like, how are you? And then perhaps, how's your wife? Or how's your mother, your father? How are you? And then perhaps, uh, questions, more inquiring questions, and the conversations would go on about general health and well-being, although I wasn't going to use that word. <laughs> um, the discussions would go on for quite some time, but eventually we'd get down to some work. Now, during my training, I'd been taught about the importance of time management, timesheets, efficient working practices, working to precise programmes, measuring outputs against targets, but nothing about community. After a couple of years, I came back home, but often reflected on those folk back in the bush clinics, and I wondered where Jesus' priorities would have been. 
Would he have focused on getting the job done efficiently, to time and within budget? Or would his priority have been more about health, well-being, I've used it again, and welfare of the families and communities, uh, and communities around about? Let us pray. If people would only listen to you, Lord, what a wonderful chance there would be for love and community. We would all seek justice and peace. Different cultures would respect each other and kindness would prevail. We thank you for communities that we have heard about, Lord. Children's homes where young people are nurtured, educated and given the chance to lead fulfilled and useful lives. We give thanks for young people gathered together, experiencing the different culture and needs of those in other countries. And we are grateful for village communities everywhere, where neighbour looks after neighbour first and foremost. There are many communities in the world that make up your kingdom, and you watch over them all. This morning we also remember communities that are hurting, the people in Turkey and Syria whose lives have been devastated or taken by the major earthquake. We pray that your love will shine through as the world joins together to help and comfort. The community around Inksip in Lancashire is suffering with the disappearance of Nicola and neighbours are supporting the family and each other. We think of those in Ukraine suffering the continuing injustice of war and of those in other areas of the world that are in conflict that causes displacement, pain and loss. There are many places and people's Lord that need your help and comfort and we hold them up to you in our prayers. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, reading from the message. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and, about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even in jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. You know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another's spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. 
those ogling looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye at the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. And then moving to verse 33. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it, or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. I've um, called section community building, which seems to fit well with what we've heard so far. Jesus' words from his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, which we've just heard, is one of his greatest teachings about his kingdom come. It links continuity between the Old and New Testaments. And in this morning's passage, Jesus creates a new standard, a new ethic for us to live by, so we can learn what it means to live in blessed community. The law was never intended to be the goal. It was always intended to be a means of establishing, nurturing and protecting relationships. The passage teaches us that this community of Jesus' followers shouldn't hold grudges. It should practice reconciliation. It's not enough for us simply to do no physical harm in the world. We must also do no verbal or spiritual harm either. So not only should we refrain from doing physical violence, we should refrain from even thinking harmful thoughts or speaking harmful words. After all, a thought leads to a feeling, a feeling leads to an action, and an action leads to a consequence. The time and energy put into harmful thoughts can change our own lives and the lives of others. We can be weighed down by harmful thoughts. We can be harmed by thoughts of fear and anger, and eventually they can overtake us. Our suffering can create a spiritual field around us and contribute to the suffering of everybody we meet, particularly those to whom our anxiety is directed. In short, grudges can destroy. We are called to really examine our innermost thoughts and feelings and to bring them to God for healing. We can do this not only to improve our own spiritual health, but as an act of peace for the whole world. Jesus wants us to be a community built on forgiveness. The text encourages us to examine our lives, recognising struggles and conflicts. Do they bring us closer to God or push us further away? 
In this passage we've just heard, Jesus gives us wonderful practical ideas about how to have a more fulfilling life. Avoid anger and hatred. Have the right relationship with God and with others. Keep our hearts from lusting and be faithful. Show mercy and love others in our communities. We all have different personalities. We are all at different stages of our lives. We are all developing both physically and spiritually in different ways. Therefore, it is not unusual for there to be tension and conflict in the world, in communities. Every community and every family has its problems. God gave us free will, but the love we offer through the grace of Jesus is accepting one another's differences, listening to other people's opinions, and in so doing, enriching our thoughts and quality of life. We need to be honest, straightforward and humble with each other. We need to be people of reconciliation and forgiveness. Consider how much we are forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So how can we withhold forgiveness from one another? Jesus addresses the men in his community concerning adultery. In today's world, this can be applied to all genders. Jesus warns us against murder and lust and says that if a part of your body causes you to sin, cut it off. Now Jesus seems to be using hyperbole here. Rather than have us harm our bodies, he wants us to remove temptations in our lives that may cause us to think or act this way. Jesus wants our word to mean something. If we're going to say that we're going to do something, then we should do it. Jesus' community should be based on truth. Following Jesus' commandments can bring hope and peace. And Jesus wants the church to model these practices. These teachings will build up our community. But when we fall short, we know that in Christ there is an abundance of forgiveness. We are people of his grace and set free to love our neighbour as ourselves. It is up to us as Christians to show the distinctiveness of life by putting God first. This reading in Matthew comes after Jesus telling his disciples that they had to be like salt and light to the world, seasoning it with God's love and shining God's light into every dark corner. God gives the law out of love for us to strengthen community by pointing our attention towards the needs of our neighbour. We are to go out and mix with our communities using the gifts that God gave us to make it better. We are his church and everything we say or do or think makes the church what it is. Christ calls us to a deeper commitment and willingness to become his devoted followers. To answer that call, we perhaps need to rethink our thinking just as the disciples on the hillside had to do. Amen. This is a little meditation called Goodness in Our Hearts by Glendon Macaulay. You have made your folk and placed goodness in their hearts, not so that it can remain there impotent and unemployed, but be released and set free and put to work 
to overcome what demeans and diminishes. So then, summon out this great energy within us, for love lies latent. Do not let our potential remain silent, nor our goodness remain dormant and unfulfilled. We know of dark forces that stalk the world in our time, the potency of poverty, the evil of famine and deprivation, the power of greed, the hideousness of war, the fascinations that distract and service to defocus us. Save us from these and use us to show yourself to others. In the pain of these hate-filled days, in the anger that calls for revenge, in the fear and suspicion that wrecks relationships, let our involvement bring hope and radical change where they need to be. Embodiment of love, draw us into your community of caring. Make the ordinary special, the unremarkable sacred, the everyday different and holy, and so divine. Make us, then, more than a group that happens to hold some things in common. Make us your community through the love of heaven. For where there is generosity and mercy and love, you yourself are there. Amen. We are many, God's great diversity, yet we are one in Christ. Different faces, different races, yet we are one in Christ. Butchers, bakers, website makers, bankers, tailors, teachers, sailors, yet we are one in Christ. Fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, single, married, broken, carried, yet we are one in Christ. The happy, the clappy, the barely out of nappies, the ancient, the modern, the famous, the forgotten, yet we are one in Christ. Some hopeful, some hopeless, some cope well, some cope less, some sure and some doubt, some whisper, some shout, yet we are one in Christ. Those with abundance, those with need, those who are generous or wrestle with greed, yet we are one in Christ. We are many, God's great diversity. Different faces, different races, yet we are one in Christ. Amen. You, who are on the road, must have a code that you can live by and so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye teach 
your children well Their father's hell Did slowly go by And feed them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you And then I'll tell Look at them and sigh 